our current end time series. That's all, folks. That's right, that's all, folks. Now, we've already talked about, so far in these last few weeks, we've talked about uh, what it looks like when we die, what happens. We've talked about uh, words like Sheol and Hades and, and paradise. And um, Pastor John has liked to say this, I think, every week so far, so I feel like I just need to say this. But you are going to die. Isn't that encouraging? Is that exciting? We are all going to die. I think we probably should have named this series, You're Going to Die, <laughs> rather than that's all, folks. But it's a reality. We are all, every man is destined to die. But last week we talked about the tribulation. We talked about judgment and a little bit about the millennium. If you missed any of those, I'd encourage you uh, to check them out online. They're all available. Uh, but today we're going to go on to chapter 4, which is the return of Christ, some of the things that we just sang about. Um, did everybody get sermon notes? Did anybody not have? Does anybody need sermon notes? Okay, we got some hands up here. Ushers, can we get these out if you don't have them? We've got a lot of stuff to cover today. I'm promising to get you out of here by 12 o'clock. So we got just a couple, couple up here. Let's make sure we get those. We got a lot of things to fill in and cover. Now, when we start talking about the return of Christ in the end times, uh, people tend to get a little bit freaky. They get weird. Right? right? <laughs> now, some people will completely close their ears and they don't want to hear anything because they automatically assume that you're probably nuts. And others of us get so worked up and we get all excited and we just start going into overdrive thinking about all the ways that things are going to happen and we look at Bible prophecies and current times and all of a sudden before you know it, out come numerous charts and speculations about what's going to happen, how current events link to Bible prophecy, of course, who the Antichrist is. That's really important, right? And we get in all these weird things, looking at all these figures in the world, and who could be the Antichrist? And I remember in my, when I was a kid, it was Ronald Reagan. Because his name was Ronald Wilson Reagan, and there were six, no, there's six characters in each of those names, so that adds up to six, six, six. Isn't that so intuitive, isn't it? But these weird things, and then we start talking about conspiracy theories and government cover-up stories like the U.S. is secretly building concentration camps all over the U.S. And the, the plan is to enslave all of the Christians at the right time. Anybody hear that one? You guys are just not with I've heard that a lot. And then alien abductions are suggested to be some of the signs in the heavens. See, I'm schooling you. I'm schooling you. But this is like some of the weird stuff that we get into. And of course, it, some of this stuff is nonsense. But people believe this stuff. There was a survey conducted for the U.S. News and World Report. They found that nearly 6 in 10 people believe that the world will come to an end or be destroyed. And a third of those think that it will happen within a few years or a few decades. And the truth is that planet Earth is on a collision course. But it's not with an asteroid, it's not with the sun. Our collision course is going to be with our creator. The word of God talks about this. It refers to a future confrontation between God and man as the day of the Lord. And when it occurs, the impact will be heard and felt around the world. 
It was set in motion when man, who is created in God's image, heeded the solicitation of Satan and sinned in that rebellion has continued in every human heart until this very moment. So upon the earth, in the heavens, an incredible war rages for the souls of people. The war is invisible and spiritual, but the results are eternal. God and Satan are the foes. The universe is the battleground. Angels and humans are the participants. And the first skirmish was in the Garden of Eden, and the last is yet to come. But when? That's what everybody wants to know, right? And when I was younger, I, I was one of these weirdo kind of people. I spent years trying to understand all of the events around the end times, and I, I read scripture, I watched and listened to a number of different programs, I listened to all the theories, I tried to line things up as far as prophecies and, and current things, and I was very interested in who the Antichrist might be. So because I wanted to know. I just, I wanted to have it all figured out. And eventually I came to the conclusion that we aren't meant to know all of that. We're not meant to know everything. The specifics of time and events, I believe, are intentionally shrouded. And God didn't set out to give us a roadmap or a timetable. His aim was to teach us to be living in a state of readiness for our meeting with him. Now, there are a number of places in Scripture that talk about the return of Christ. And here are some interesting facts for your notes. The second coming of Jesus is mentioned eight times more than his first coming. One out of every 25 verses in the New Testament talks about it. And it's the theme of chapters in the Bible, like Matthew 24, Luke 21, and Mark 13. And it is also the theme of entire books of the Bible, like First and Second Thessalonians. And through all of that in there, here is what we can be confident of. Jesus Christ came as a suffering servant to be the sacrificial lamb and savior for all humanity. And he will return again as our coming king. We can be confident of that. Can we know when that will be? No. We cannot. Jesus said that no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. So we can try and speculate. We can try to figure out a year range, but we're not going to know. We're not meant to know. There's no way that we can predict it. However, Jesus repeatedly warns us to be ready. To be ready. He said, since you don't know when that time will come, be on guard and stay alert. Okay? And before we dive into this too far, I just want to make a quick, fairly quick note that there are multiple genres of Scripture. There are three basic genres that talk about Jesus' return. And those genres include teaching passages, which are mainly contained in the Gospels and in the epistles, the letters that the apostles wrote to the churches. There's also prophetic passages, which is Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, and Hosea all the way through Malachi. There's lots of instances of the return of Christ in there. And then there's something we call apocalyptic literature, which people kind of lump in with prophecy, but it's kind of its own little genre. And you see things like that in Daniel and in Revelation, where there's a lot of symbolism, and you're looking at like visions and dreams and things like that. And many of these books that we talked about contain more than one genre, like the Gospels, the Epistles, the Prophets, Daniel, Revelation. There's multiple genres within those. But in general, where people seem to run into the most difficulties are in the prophetic passages and in the apocalyptic literature. And I think as Pastor John points out, it's important to know the context in order to understand how to interpret Scripture. 
So if we look at prophecy, I think it's important to understand that its purpose is not to satisfy curiosity about the future. It's not. It does help to paint a picture of some of the things that will happen and take place, but its purpose really is to encourage us to live holy lives and ultimately demonstrate that God is the one that is ordering the events. It's all part of his plan. So prophecy really is to bring people to God or to remind people of their identity. Prophecy cannot and will not reveal everything. It's not a magic formula that we can figure out and know exactly what's going to happen. When it came to salvation, Peter talks about this. He said, this salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. So this is something the prophets prophesied about, but they didn't get all the details. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says, Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. So again, it's not going to reveal everything. And then if we look at apocalyptic literature, uh, according to author Mitchell Reddish, which is somebody I studied when I was in school, he says apocalyptic literature is crisis literature. These writings were produced during a time of perceived crisis to offer hope to oppressed and beleaguered individuals by giving them an alternative picture of reality. So in the the case of Revelation, we have the Apostle John, and he's exiled on the Isle of Patmos. And there's a sense of severe persecution in the church at this time. And Revelation is largely a response to the church at that time as as they face great persecution. It's basically encouraging them that God is still in control. No matter what they see, no matter what they're suffering or going through, He is still in control, and He will ultimately bring justice upon the earth. The righteous will be rewarded, and evil will be punished, and all will be made right. As I said, apocalyptic literature tends to be very symbolic in nature, and where I often see people start getting themselves into trouble, and if you follow any of this, you'll see this, is with, they try to match up some of the symbols with current events. There's one prophecy writer, he's, he's very well known, for example, and he says that he has absolute proof that the United States is in the Bible. Because in Daniel chapter 7, there's a beast that comes up from the sea that's like a lion and it has eagle's wings. So, of course, the eagle is the U.S.'s national bird, right? So, obviously, absolute proof that that's in the Bible. Right? And the, uh, the, the lion, like, that's a symbol of the alliance between England, which is represented by the lion, and the United States as the eagle. Pretty clever, isn't it? And then if we go further into that chapter, it talks about a, a little horn that comes up, and it has human eyes and a mouth that boasts arrogantly. Right away, that is Donald Trump. <laughs> right? Obviously, it's clearly in the Bible. But that's what I'm talking about. Sometimes we get into these weird things and we need to be really careful because you read some things in the scripture that aren't there. And then before we know it, people are basing entire theologies out of this theoretical stuff that they make up in their heads and we get way off track. We get way off track. So today, what I want to do is I want to focus on the teaching passages where this subject is spelled out a little bit more clearly. And... 
I would say I think that as we study Scripture, that it's a good thing to study it, to learn it, to, to know what you believe and come to our own convictions about it. But as we do that, also come, especially in the topics like this, come into it with a spirit of humility. Because there's a lot of things about this that we simply will not understand. We're not meant to. Amen? So if we look at Jesus' words found in Matthew chapter 24 and Mark 13, Luke 17 and 21, this is the Olivet Discourse. Jesus talks about some of these things. And again, even with some of these teaching passages, uh, we're often left with more questions than answers. Isn't that exciting? And a lot of people wonder why Jesus didn't clearly spell out the exact details of his coming. And I think it's probably because it's better for us to live in the tension of maybe today, but maybe not in my lifetime. But even though we don't know exactly when, Jesus did give us signs that indicate that his return is growing closer. Listen to what the Bible says about that. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, he says, You aren't in the dark about these things, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. So he gave us signs. Jesus said in the same way, when you see all these things taking place, when you see all these signs, you can know that his return is very near. It's right at the door. So if we look at some signs, here's are some um, basic signs that tell us that his return is near. Number one, there will be widespread fear and confusion about the future. Jesus says there will be strange signs in the sun, moon, and stars, and here on earth the nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring seas and strange tides. People will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth, for the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And if you look widespread fear and confusion about the future, we look at things like climate change, where people get all worked up into a frenzy. Uh, they talk about solar storms hitting the earth and wiping out satellites and causing absolute chaos. We look at some of the movies and the cinemas today, which often are a projection of what people are feeling in their hearts in this apocalyptic kind of things, asteroids coming and crashing the earth, wiping everything out, zombies, which is just kind of fun. <laughs> but widespread fear and confusion. He said also, number two, there will be an infiltration of false teachers. Jesus said, false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. Even his chosen ones. And in Jude it says, some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. These people are grumblers and complainers living only to satisfy their desires. They brag loudly about themselves and they flatter others to get what they want. But you, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ said. They told you in the last times there would be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. So there's an infiltration of false teachers that started way back in the early church and continues to today. Number three, there's a turning away from the truth turning away from the truth. Paul tells Timothy, the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. And these people are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences are dead. 
Peter says in the last days scoffers will come. That seems to be a common theme. Mocking the truth and following their own desires, they will say what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again. From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. So there's a turning away from truth. Then we see even in our culture, especially today, there really is becoming, there's a downgrading of absolute truth. People don't believe in absolute truth anymore. It's all relative. It's more, it's based on how I feel. So what's true for you might not be true for me because I think this way. And it's a degrading of truth. And that just seems to be getting worse and worse with time. Number four, there'll be a preoccupation with pleasure. Preoccupation with pleasure. Jesus said, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. And that is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. It's people eating, drinking, partying, not thinking about the future. They're preoccupied with what's going on right now. Paul tells Timothy that you should know this. In the last days, there will be very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. Anybody see any signs of this? Yeah, it's kind of hard to miss, isn't it? It's a lot of the Western world for sure. Uh, Number five, there will be worldwide war, devastation, and persecution. Again, Jesus says, you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. And then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And Pastor John alluded to this a little bit last week. He says we're in this American bubble and we really have no idea the kinds of things that are going on in other parts of the world where persecution and martyrdom is just natural. And people are living in fear. They're living in fear for their families because of what they believe and again, this is one of the signs. We've seen lots of wars, and I think th- there's no end to that in sight from what I've seen. Like, things are just kind of scary out there. And that's, again, a sign of his coming. Number six, there will be a worldwide proclamation of the gospel. And Jesus said, And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. And then the end will come. Now in the the late 19th, early 20th century, uh, there was a huge movement in the church because they believed that they could hasten the Lord's return. And so they had this huge missionary movement. And they sent out missionaries to all these different parts of the earth, people that have never heard the gospel. And a lot of people picked up, they took everything and they went, they took their families and they went so that the gospel could be proclaimed to these people who have never heard the name of Jesus. And those who stayed behind, they funded them and they gave up and they sacrificed so much uh, of the means that they had. 
And if, I think we've lost that intensity and that expectation. And I'd love to see some of that return into the church now because that's our mission. And we've become preoccupied with comfort, with living a life of pleasure. And I know even for me, like it, even for me, like I'm... It's hard because you get pulled into the normal things and I have to remind myself it's not about this life, but it's about Jesus and about making him known. So I have to remind myself constantly, like, don't get caught up in this because it's so easy to just get sucked into it. Amen? Now, all of these things, these six things that we've talked about, they're signs of Jesus' return. And this was in response, most of these were in response that Jesus told his disciples. It's the last week leading up to Jesus' crucifixion. And they're walking through Jerusalem and they're looking at all the incredible buildings and this incredible temple and the disciples are talking to him saying, Jesus, look at this incredible, look at these buildings. And he says, I tell you the truth, not one of these stones will be left on top of another. And then this is what prompts them to ask these questions. They said, Lord, Tell us when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return on the end of the world? So this is in response to that. But I want to encourage you, don't stop at the signs. We need to be ready. We need to be ready for his return. Jesus says this in Matthew 24 again, so you too must keep a watch for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Are you ready? Are you ready? And as we look at some of these signs, we read some phrases like false messiahs and false prophets, and Scripture speaks of one man specifically. Paul calls him the man of lawlessness, the man who brings destruction. And this man is called the Antichrist. Now, we were going to have some fun with this today, and we were going to have, like, some world leaders, pictures up here, and we are going to include a shot of Pastor John in there and just kind of talk about that, but yeah, yeah you missed. We were, we're not doing it, so I'm sorry. That could have been a lot of fun, but... I was going to say a joke, like Pastor John comes into my office every day about 3 or 4 o'clock and I have this smell wafting up into my nose and it's an abomination. Aaron, you know what I'm talking about. It's this yogurt that just reeks up the whole room. And I just, like to me, I think it's the abomination that causes desolation when he comes into my office. It's terrible. So, and he enjoys it so much. And I really don't like him for that. <laughs> but realize, the Antichrist, he is not the Messiah, even though he will claim to be. He is an imposter. And Jesus warned that many would claim this title. He said, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. And then if anyone tells you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. And most non-Christians wouldn't be too excited to be talking or discussing the Antichrist. But the thought of a dynamic world leader, a global community, a worldwide monetary system, a universal religious system, and a real chance at world peace would be a welcome relief to our weary world. Especially when you hear so many things about the nation-state being an issue, and that's part of the problem why we have wars or how religions are so divisive. 
this can be very exciting for some people. But for us as Christians, the Bible gives us clear instruction and information about this person. He's incredibly powerful, extremely intelligent, and tremendously charismatic person who is also the most frighteningly evil person on the earth. Paul talks about him in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered to meet him. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the Lord or that the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them, even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. Don't be fooled by what they say, for that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God, claiming that he himself is God. This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. And I guess I would just caution. You got all these signs about the Antichrist, so it seems like it would be pretty obvious but we also had all kinds of signs about Jesus' return, about his death, how all that would happen. And even the Jews who studied the Bible, they memorized, they knew the law, the prophets. They did not get it when Jesus was there. They didn't realize that he was here. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's the way that it happens when the Antichrist is revealed. We may not see it at the time. We may not know but it is a sign. The Bible gives a sign so that we would know the time is near. And what it does not tell us to do is to look for the Antichrist. It does not tell us to look for the Antichrist. Rather, Jesus says, so when all these things begin to happen, when all these signs start to happen, stand and look up, for your salvation is near. So let's talk about the second coming. Of Jesus. It's exciting. It's exciting. Second coming of Jesus. Jesus will appear again visibly and physically on the earth. It's not going to be hidden. It's not going to be secret. It's not going to be a spiritual coming. He will appear again visibly and physically. How do you know this? When he was, after his crucifixion, he was walking with the disciples for a time and he was taking up into a cloud. And we read about this in Acts chapter 1. And as he's being taken... He is taken up into heaven, and two angels appear before him, and they tell his followers, they said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way that you saw him go. And Jesus says himself, For as the lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with great power and glory. And the Apostle John in Revelation says, Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him, even those who pierce him, and all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, and amen. He will return again, and it will be a pretty cool thing. And cool isn't a very good word to describe such an event as that, but that's what we're going to use for now. Number two, believers who have died will be resurrected. 
Believers who have died will be resurrected, and those of us who are alive will be caught up. We read this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and this was some of my favorite scriptures when I was growing up as a kid. Paul says, we tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we will be with the Lord forever. Yes! So I'm talking about. Isn't that exciting? Now, I have always wanted to fly. I am looking forward to that day. You know, skydiving has its appeal to me, but there you're just kind of, I, I haven't done it, but someday, God willing, I will. But to go up and fly to meet Jesus, I think, is even, even better. All right? Number three, the bodies of those of us who are raised in Christ will be transformed. We're not going to have new bodies, but our current bodies will be transformed. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, What I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment. In the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown, and for when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed, for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. You guys excited? That's just pretty darn cool. There's that word again, cool. I gotta come up with a better word. Awesome! There is nothing to describe what that would be like on this earth. I'm telling you. And lastly, number four, Jesus will come as a judge. He will come as judge. He came as a baby, but will return as king. He came as a lowly servant, offering salvation, but he returns as the judge of all. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians, he will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. And Peter tells us that the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. These are all part of his second coming. I want to make a quick note. How many of you heard something called a rapture? Right? Is rapture in the Bible? Right. So you can live for rapture all you want, but you will not find that word in the Bible. Of course, the concept is there. And it, the term is used to describe God taking his church out of the world. He's taking his church out of the world. Now, when we look at a second coming, there are different ways that people look at this. The rapture, if you look at our points in there, the points two and three, where people are taken up, dead or raised, us who are alive to go to meet him in the air, and our bodies are transformed. There are many faithful believers who believe this will happen separately from his 
visible second coming. They believe that he will come before the tribulation that Pastor John talked about last week, and they'll be taken up during that time, and then Jesus will come visibly and physically. And then there's also another group of believers that believe that this will all happen at the same time. And we're not going to get into exactly when. The truth is that there are people on both sides, faithful Christians, but the takeaway I want you to get is Jesus simply says to be ready, no matter how that looks. We need to be ready. We know what's going to happen. We may disagree a little bit on some of the details, but we need to be ready because he can come at any moment. He can come today before we walk out the doors because we are in the last days. And, and we can know this because this was the last days back in the days of the early church. Yeah, so it's a, it's a long last days, but it is the last days. Peter said in the day of Pentecost, as, as the Holy Spirit is poured out on these people and they start going into the streets and people think that they're drunk because they're speaking in tongues and doing all kinds of crazy things. But Peter says, no, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. He's saying this is the last days that Joel <coughs> foretold. And the apostle John says, dear children, the last hour is here. You've heard that the Antichrist is coming, and already many such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. It could happen any time. Are you ready? Are you ready? Now, my duty as your pastor is not to make sure that you can fill in all the blanks on your sermon outline. You want to teach and, and help instruct, but my obligation before God is to have us in a state of readiness for when we meet him again, living our lives as though today were the day of the Lord. Are you ready? Are you ready for that day if you were to come at this moment? There's a story about Billy Graham in uh, January 2000. Their leaders in Charlotte, North Carolina, they invited their favorite son, Billy Graham, to uh, a luncheon in his honor. And some of you may have heard this story, but uh, he initially hesitated to accept the invitation because he struggles with Parkinson's disease. But the Charlotte leader said, we don't expect a major address, just come in and let us honor you. So he agreed. And after wonderful things were said about him, Dr. Graham stepped to the rostrum, he looked at the crowd, and he said, I'm reminded today of Albert Einstein, the great physicist who this month has been honored by Time magazine as the man of the century. Einstein was once traveling from Princeton on a train when the conductor came down the aisle, punching the tickets of each passenger. And when he came to Einstein, Einstein reached into his vest pocket and he couldn't find his ticket. So he reached in his other pocket and he couldn't find it there either. So he looked in his briefcase and he couldn't find it. And then he looked in the seat next to him and it wasn't there. And the conductor said, Dr. Einstein, I, I know who you are. We all know who you are. I'm sure you bought a ticket, so don't worry about it. And Einstein nodded appreciatively, and the conductor continued down the aisle, punching tickets. And then as he was ready to move to the next cart, he looked back, and he turned around and saw the great physicist down on his hands and knees, looking under his seat for his ticket. So he rushes back, 
And he says, Dr. Einstein, Dr. Einstein, don't worry. I, I know who you are. No problem. You don't need a ticket. I'm sure that you bought one. And so Einstein looked at him and said, young man, I too know who I am. What I don't know is where I'm going. So having said that, Billy Graham continued. He said, you see the suit I'm wearing? It's a brand new suit. My wife, my children, and my grandchildren are telling me I've gotten a little slovenly in my old age. I used to be a little bit more fastidious, so I went out and I bought a new suit for this luncheon and for one more occasion. You know what that occasion is, he said? He said, this is the suit in which I'll be buried. But when you hear I'm dead, I don't want you to immediately remember the suit I'm wearing. I want you to remember this. I not only know who I am, I know where I'm going. Do you know where you're going? If the Lord were to come back today, can you answer definitively that you would know? Are you ready?